The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Are You Afraid 1984, the unofficial American Horror Story 1984 podcast, a poppychuloradio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, November 7th, 2019, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the FX series, American Horror Story 1984. Please welcome my co-hosts, Vinny Hatcher. Hello there. And Madison Fitzpatrick. Hey guys, welcome back. Let's jump into our recap of Season 9, Episode 8, which was titled Rest in Pieces and aired November 6th, 2019. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. A deadly trio emerges, hellbent on unleashing a new era at Camp Redwood. Our former counselors desperately try to keep history from repeating itself. I want to get everyone's initial reaction to the episode, and let's start off with uh, Vinny. I loved it. I hands down thoroughly enjoyed this episode. There was so much tongue-in-cheek. There was so much exposition regarding characters that we got a hint of what had happened to them in the time since the massacre's last episode. And we had some more Thelma and Louise of a sorts. And I I know it's horrible to say this because there was a mass murder in this episode and there was some pretty sad stuff. But to me, this was actually a very feel-good episode in a lot of ways just because I got to see some of my, my characters that I like the most really have a lot of fun together. And we also got some really, really origin backstory um, that was awesome to me. I really enjoyed uh, hearing about you know what happened, how everything came to be the way that it was with the curse. It was funny. You said... Um... It sounded like you said Velma and Louise, and then all of a sudden I, re- I started thinking of Velma from Scooby-Doo and Louise, like, going over the canyon. Cheapers, we gotta yes. go over that cliff. <laughs> no, that's what she would say. I love it. Uh, what about you, Maddie Fitz? What did you think of uh, Rest in Pieces? <laughs> um, oh. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not the Russian judge this time. Yeah, I don't no, know. But I, thought, the, I feel like you lied to me. I thought you said you liked it, but maybe I... I um, okay. Um, well, <laughs> I'm not really liking where this is going. I'm not really Kajar liking... Kajar Gugu is dead? Yes. <laughs> I'm not really liking the way that this season is going, you I guess I would remember, say. remember, Maddie was born in the year 2000, so... No, I wasn't. Okay, fine. Christ. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, I'm I'm not really liking the way that the season is going. Um, I like that 
we're seeing um, different characters and new characters come back and, and stuff like that. But I don't know, just the way that stuff is going, I feel like it's it's not what we had in the first, like, two episodes. Um, I feel like it's a completely different story. I don't know. I'm not too convinced it was, like, a decent episode, but I don't know. I don't know. I will clarify that mm-hmm. I agree that this is going in a direction that I did not initially like. But at this point, I've kind of just... I'm just going to lay back and enjoy it at this point because they're giving me camp. They're giving me some humor and then there's still, I still feel like there could be surprises in store. Um, Not necessarily that it's going to twist it into something that it's not. And there's going to be the last, you know, the last episode will have some huge like twisty reveal connecting everything. I I don't know. I I just kind of, this vignette thing they've been doing. I didn't like it at first. These isolated chapters hopping back and forth between characters but, you know, once I realized that it wasn't going in the super dark direction that it, it, it kind of seemed like it would for a little bit, it was going back into the kind of comedic, almost telenovela-esque with the, the Kaja Gugu of it all and, and the over-the-top characters. I, I'm allowing myself to enjoy it the same way that I would enjoy a movie that everyone else says is utterly horrible, but I find hilarious. Well, there you go. Um, I'm enjoying the ride as well. I liked the episode. I, I didn't mind it. I I feel like once again, you know, we're sort of getting a little bit more of the setup of what's going to happen in the finale. Um, I, I liked seeing where everyone's headspace is. Some of it's a little weird. Um, ghost sex. Uh, some of it is, uh, very interesting. Uh, we got... I can't even believe I'm saying this, but like we got an actual happy ending that moved me a little bit on American Horror Story. And um, yeah, we, we had some interesting developments that uh, I'm really excited to chat with both of you about. Uh, maybe I'm a little more excited to chat with Vinny about it than Maddie Fitz, but uh, shocker. Uh, so Burn. I know she didn't even feel it. All right, she didn't even <laughs> respond. So uh, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of American Horror Story 1984, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Are You Afraid? 1984 and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. So, let's see. Where should we go first? Velma and Louise? No, actually, I want to I want to kind of save that. No, I know. I just wanted to say it again. Oh, okay. Velma and Louise. Love it. Uh, Jinkies. Um, let's see. Oh, gosh. Where? Well, you know what? Because it is such an isolated moment, let's tackle this first. So, uh, Margaret and Courtney, Beverly Leslie. Uh, A.K.A. Leslie Jordan. Uh, but it's just so much fun calling Beverly Leslie. Um, they're in the tour bus, 
and they have found Kajagugu. This is where we get what I would call the now iconic line, because I never thought I'd ever be saying it. I never thought we'd ever hear it on American Horror Story, but Kajagugu is dead. And so Margaret basically tells Courtney, like, why didn't you tell me about it? I should have heard about this first. This, that, or the other. She um, instructs Courtney on how to clean up the crime scene and how it should be done, even though he mentions he's a diminutive man. She's like, well, that's how you're going to chop everything up, put them in bags, bleach everything. No one's ever going to find out that Kaja Gugu is dead. So uh, Courtney does it. And just as he's sort of like tossing in the final uh, body bags, literally, we hear, uh, hush, hush, do, do, do. And uh, he turns around and he sees that Kaja Gugu is playing their damn song. And TBH, that's legit all that we get of this. In this episode. So Beverly Leslie is there. Shooketh. That Kajagugu. Is not dead. At least in his eyes. I was so taken aback. That he wasn't just like. Um no I'm going to call the cops. We have a full tour bus. Of dead pop stars. Like what? And you're you're expecting me to cut them all up and bury them and and get rid of all the blood like um, excuse me maddie right? that's what you call a loyal assistant no that's what you call an assistant who's a f- more afraid of their boss than they are of what possibly could happen if they got linked to the crime well, f that you, <laughs> you know you Christ. do it too maddie uh, maybe maybe right. for Richard ramirez but no yeah. you've done it for me before but we're talking too much on a podcast. Uh, I don't know. Hush, hush. But then I, I came back I, from the dead. I know. We can't get rid of you. Never. Wicked always wins. <laughs> I'd love to call back to a very different podcast. <laughs> that was extra juicy. Woo. Woo. Okay. Continue on, Maddie Fitz. Uh, yes, Continue. No, 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 I'm, I'm saying, because this is, we're stopping here, oh. and I'm getting your take. <laughs> this is the thing, it's called a podcast, and we're supposed to be discussing what I sort of recap. Oh but, my um, god, I thought you meant, like, can you continue, like, I'm done, because I was the one who interrupted you. Oh, okay, oh, okay, you're done? Oh, okay, well, what about you, Vinny? What did you I'm think? I'm done, okay. Oh, fine. What about you, Vinny? What did you think of this I... incredibly isolated moment that clearly is very important because now more people are discovering sort of like the ghost situation in a sense, even though I don't know if Courtney really understands it. But it was such an isolated scene that was like never revisited. Like we never saw Courtney again. Like we never came back to this, which I thought was. Yeah. It was weird. Slightly I, perplexing. But I loved it. I, I, oh, I agree it. as well. It's yeah. Like it was just so funny with him turning around and being like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, just I like, know. Because yeah. I just think of when he got he found their bodies on the bus and he was like, "What in fresh hell is this?" You know, and he went through all that trouble and then they just show up. As an isolated incident, I I thought it was a cute little thing. I I, I utterly adore that character. I think he's so funny. I agree. Courtney is um, fantastic. So let's talk about, well, let's talk about ghost sex. I mean, we might as well. So we saw in the previous episode that uh, Montana and Trevor reconnected. 
and um, they connected uh, body parts as well because we find them in bed after smashing and you know there's they get into like questions about being a ghost and you know montana goes into like what she feels and all this kind of stuff but she she always has this constant longing to be alive and um, she doesn't like that she's going to be stuck there at the camp so he fills sorry she fills him in on the plan and uh he goes on to say that he hates margaret and he loves montana like love love and so uh, after they're done and they get dressed and they leave the cabin margaret catches them she we see her watching from afar so um well brooke goes through it in in a different storyline and we'll discuss that when we get to it but just to sort of um take the little bits and pieces that that i need to continue on for the next uh, scene um montana's past was revealed in a very public way um the secret that she had that she was in a relationship with uh richard ramirez and so when trevor finds her she's still sort of reeling from that and uh trevor is still on his sort of romantical high uh, and uh, and that sort of thing and um and he's basically like you know what i i want to stay the same you know i don't think anything's going to get better for me i think i sort of peaked in the 80s and uh, i want to keep my good looks and all this kind of thing so i think i'm going to kill myself because i want to be with you and i want to be with you forever you are everything 80s and that sort of thing and i want to be with you and um, she's basically like, how can you love me? You don't even know me. This is out of the other. You know, I was in a relationship with Richard Ramirez. And why do they always blame the women? And, and she's clearly still shooketh by everything that was said to her. Because she was basically kind of blamed um, for everything that Richard Ramirez had done. Um, so, um, so, yeah. So, she is basically like, why... Like, why would you kill yourself? You know, I don't love you. You know, I need someone basically as fucked up as I am. So, um, and you're not that person. And she's like, I never want to see you again. You should leave. So. My heart hurt. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I, I was like, Montana, how can you say that to him? I was so upset. Wait, you were I... shipping Montana and Mr. Schumer? Well, that's a callback, listeners. I think it's just because, like, in the first couple episodes, they seem so like cool together, like they totally seemed like badasses, and like they were both into aerobics, and they just kind of seemed like a badass couple. Oh yeah, that and then, makes like, them pretty just... to get married. They're both into aerobics. Yeah, and then like he just felt so like in love with her, and now I'm very sad because <laughs> she's being a bitch. Yeah, she was but, being very and then, selfish. And then also, I'm like, um, weren't Montana and Xavier, like, a thing, like, a couple episodes ago? No, it's just the no. kiss that one episode. That was it. it yeah, was he was always of... very much like, I'm not gay, but I probably am. Okay, because I was like, mm, they're kissing, like, are they a thing? Because they called each other, like, babe a few times, too, I think. And I was just like... Oh, yeah. But is, like, Xavier going to be mad? I was like, is Xavier going to be mad? I don't, I don't know. I was like, kind of like weirded out by it. But yeah, I was at her and I feel like Mr. Schuster deserves so much better. 
Yeah. He he just he was such a interesting character when he was alive in the original beginning of the season and then he became this like John Waters looking like cokehead that just he he got what he deserved for the choice that he made and then he thought that this was like a chance at redemption of like life eternal with this woman who just fascinated him. I, and it goes back to the previous episode. It was just so corny when he's like, I didn't know what I was missing until I saw you, you know? And, and I kind of thought they were going to have this like happy ending. But when that happened, I, I have to admit, even my whole shriveled heart kind of broke a little. Oh, well, this one didn't affect me like it affected y'all, but um, it was, a bit surprising as to how how like how much Montana took things personally about Richard Ramirez the fact that it affected her so much that she did sort of um, in a sense end things with Trevor I did like them together even though I don't really understand how it works Um, I mean clearly he was willing to kill himself so he wants to become a ghost too but I don't understand like how they fell in love in a sense, uh, I guess it's supposed to be sort of like the eighties and, and, um, you know, that kind cocaine. of thing. Well, and cocaine and sex, but, um, but yeah, it just, it was, um, it seemed a little weird, but, uh, I have a theory mm-hmm. and it goes back to, if you remember the beginning, I said that this season was very much all about, I thought that if we had to match the, the circles of hell, that this was lust, but it wasn't just sexual lust. It was a lust for something to complete them all because every character in this series, season, excuse me, had some kind of desperate need that they wanted to fulfill. You know, in Gus's case, it was the Olympics. In Xavier's case, it was becoming, you know, the cover of TV Guide. In Montana's, it was the aerobics. In Brooke, I, I think it was just having a happy life. So I think it was the desperation of wanting something to fill a void inside of them that they kind of forced themselves to either believe that they were so hard that they did fall in love or that they genuinely noticed what, what kind of craven creatures they both were and found solace in that. And that's where the love came from so quickly. Okay. That's interesting. I like that theory. We'll roll with that for now. So let's talk about the deadly trio. So like, when I read the press release a couple weeks ago, and it said a deadly trio, I had no idea that this was where we were going. Like, I thought it was going to be, like, new characters that want to unleash, um, you know, to quote uh, Beverly Leslie, you know, a fresh hell on Camp Redwood. But no, it was not. So, uh, we see our boy Jonas walking along the road and a pink car drives by and then comes back and in the car once again speaking of things i was not expecting was a character that i did not think we were gonna see again it was fucking bruce dylan mcdermott from the previous episode he's back who knew i thought it was a one-time thing so he's there um he ends up picking jonas up and um, we learn through everything that we see that apparently Bruce was rescued by a Mary Kay saleswoman. He ends up attacking her, puts her in the, um, the trunk, 
And when she makes a lot of noise, he goes in and tells her to shut up. He's, uh, who was he listening to? He was listening to, um, Credence, uh, Clearwater Revival. And that, you know, he shut up because I'm listening to Credence. And he ends up killing her. And, uh, Jonas is gone because, well, we know what Jonas is. And, um, yeah, so he ends up, uh, well, he, he tells Jonas that his plan is to, um, to meet someone there at the, the, the festival when um, he crashes into, literally, Jingles, he gets to meet his idol, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and uh, they bond over um, his uh, his worshiping, his fangirling, basically, of Ramirez, and and the fact that he wants to be even better than Ramirez and that kind of thing. Um, he ends up showing him the the Mary Kay lady and all that kind of stuff. And they end up teaming up, going after Jingles. We'll talk a lot more about Jingles later on. And um, they end up finding him, but Margaret is also there. And Margaret tells them that um, basically she needs their help. And so after seeing other characters there that we will be discussing about in a different storyline, we learn Margaret's plan. So Margaret would like both Richard Ramirez and um, and Bruce's help in turning Camp Redwood into basically Graceland, an area in which fans of 80s um, music can go and visit where their idols have died. Every one of the acts, the musical acts that are going to go on stage, um, Margaret wants killed, except for Billy Idol, because so uh, Richard Ramirez and Bruce are like, you can't kill the idol. But everyone else is um, up for grabs, in a sense. So, let's talk about this. The Deadly Trio did emerge. Three people that we knew. Who would have thought? Vinny, talk to me about it. I... <laughs> I love the episode I did, but I thought this was stupid. <laughs> like, it's this love and hate that I have going. Like, I, I, it was so obvious that it was going to be something like that. It was going to be the murderers. I was really kind of hoping that it would be counselors that showed up for no reason. You know, in the previous episode, like we got some of the '70s counselors. Like, I almost wanted a little bit more. But that being said, Margaret's master plan was so fucking stupid. But it was so Margaret, like, like how that so Raven is so Raven. This was that so Margaret, like of it. Like I, I actually had to laugh that she wanted to turn this into kind of like a, a an oubliette of massacres where people could not be forgotten. Oubliette's the wrong word, actually. I don't know, like a monument. That's the, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, it was just so 80s, so megalomaniacal, and just so capitalistic. And I, I couldn't have thought of it myself like i was trying to think like what was margaret's master plan was she literally just making money off of this concert or did she have something else she was trying to do and obviously as we found out she was trying to turn this into the graceland of massacres and spiritual residents so i, I kind of well, not spiritual that's the murder i thought that it was actually fascinating that, that she was able to convince them to help her i agree with you on that and the, she's like i'm gonna make a boatload of money and like she has not even told them about 
like how they're going to financially yeah. benefit. I guess they just must be satisfied in killing. Um, and, and maybe the, uh, I don't know, the fame associated with Darter. But I'm like, y'all don't want to cut? Like, uh, I'm like, okay, sure. Um, yeah. What about you, uh, Maddie? What did you think of, uh, of this side of the storyline? Um, kind of a little... Like I said, like it, it's, I feel like nothing is fitting in the storyline anymore. Like, okay, you want to have this benefit concert, cool. And then now you, instead of thinking, oh, all the guests are going to die, and that's now all the performers are going to die. Um, well, no, all the guests were going to die. That's what the ghosts want to do. I know. I know. But, like, I just feel like it's all over the place. Like, I just feel like this episode, to me, it was just all over the place like in my mind like i'm just thinking okay remember in the first couple episodes we are dealing with a serial killer in a camp at night now we're like so far off of that storyline it's just really strange to me like i just feel like i don't know i just feel like we've gone so far in such a short time I don't know. And I just feel like it's almost like far-fetched or it just didn't make sense to me. I don't know. I didn't really like it, but hey, I don't know. <laughs> well, what you're describing is American Horror Story every season. I mean, Colt started off as I one thing like, and I it merged like into that. something else. And Roanoke started off as one thing and then it changed into something else too. So it isn't that far-fetched in the American Horror Story arena. It almost sounds like you kind of feel like you were gaslighted. Yeah, I don't like I feel like it's just getting so far away from like what we were originally introduced to in the season. Yeah, I can I see know. that. I mean, I I do enjoy it, but like I said, it's kind of because I gave in to whatever it was the hell that they're doing. Like I feel I almost feel like he was trying to get so far away from everything that they've done before as far as like trying to surprise people or also just trying to give something different and pay homage to the 80s. Yeah, that, like I get the whole like twists yeah. and turns and, and surprises and stuff like that, but it's like, like. He went off the cliff with Thelma and Louise. Yeah, like it, the, I feel like it's almost like they're reaching. Like, uh, I don't know. Done. But. I don't know, like, it could be different in the final episode. Like, it could, like, this could, like, be, like, a huge point in, you know, the show. So, I don't know what it can become or stuff like that. But I just I just feel like now there's a little bit too many storylines. Um, like, even the Jingles um, storyline now, I just feel like that was kind of unneeded in a way. Um, I, I don't know. When you think of, like an 80s horror movie it's like i feel like there's so there's so much backstory now and and normally like you don't get that in a movie you just like focus on the one night or well this is american horror story it's like a series like they are gonna have to give backstory if there's anything american horror story does is backstory i mean no i don't know i'm just yeah i don't know like it's not horrible but (laughs) okay well i will say I was surprised by the trio just because I was not expecting to see Bruce ever again. Like I thought the Dylan McDermott thing 
was a one episode and done type of thing. And I think it would have worked really well as a one episode and done type of thing. Like it was his sort of, not really a cameo because a cameo wouldn't be um, in such an extended role that he had in, in that episode, but it, w- it would be a nice callback to an actor that was there, in the, you know, in, in the very first season and that sort of thing. Uh, but th- the fact that they brought him back sort of like with the vengeance, I thought was interesting. I, I was a little bit disappointed though that, um, because when I read about the Deadly Trio many weeks ago, when I you know read the the press release myself, I was expecting like a new breed of terror, like that wants to do something at Camp right. Redwood. So because Margaret was still involved, it just felt like, uh, really. Um, so that to me was something that that did bug me. So it's like Margaret and Richard Ramirez and Bruce teaming up. I thought it was. I thought that was like a bit too much but as far as the story for me at least uh, like i i hear where both of you are coming from but the story so far for me has flowed well like i don't think they've done anything that out of the ordinary um as far as the story that they're telling is it maybe a little different than what they've done before yeah it does it also include a lot of elements that we've seen before on American Horror Story, yeah. Uh, so it wasn't that bothersome for me, at least. Um, but uh, yeah. So um, well, continuing on, uh, we'll do uh, Velma and Louise first before we get into Jingles. Uh, even though um, Maddie was already trying to get in on that action, so Hi. it's okay. So Brooke and uh, Donna, we catch up with them at a diner. And we get a very Scream-style meta moment where uh, Donna uh, ends up filling Brooke in on what the final girl means and and, and that sort of thing. And uh, it was great because um, they also got into a little uh, sort of like 80s pop culture and the fact that uh, Brooke had sort of missed the 80s or a lot of the 80s because she was in jail for half of the decade. And so... uh, when they're there, uh, they get approached by a tabloid reporter. Her name is Stacy, and um, she's like, "Oh, does anyone told you you look like Brooke uh, Thompson?" And uh, this, that, or the other, and and so there's a little bit of small talk about just more sort of meta moments about 80s culture and that kind of thing and then when they get back to their hotel room she shows up again and she's like i know who you are donna and brooke and uh she's like i know everything and and uh they sort of make a deal so that um stacy is told all of the information about what happened at uh camp redwood and uh, she would uh, not out them to the police. And, and uh, you know, she can announce that Brooke is alive once her book is published and that sort of thing. And so they promise to uh, take her to specific spots at the camp so that uh, she can know the full story of exactly what happened. And that full story is is that uh, Margaret Booth is the actual killer from the 70s as well as from 1984. So, uh, as she's going around explaining the truth, and as um, Stacy sort of ingests everything, and is basically like, you know, typically the truth is uh, is a little bit more outlandish than fiction, um, we, we learn that Brooke is going to end up killing 
Stacy because she knows too much and she can recognize them and all that kind of stuff. But Donna ends up stopping her, like, right at the moment she's about to kill Stacy. And Donna's like, you know, I know evil. I know you might have some darkness in you. But, I mean, you only killed Montana out of uh, self-defense. And uh, what you're planning on doing here is just revenge, you know, setting things right. You know, I came here with you because we're going to kill one person. I'm not going to let you kill someone else. And so Stacy runs away. Um... Brooke is uh, sort of calmed down, and Stacy ends up running into Richard Ramirez and Bruce, and um, she sort of uh, realizes who Richard Ramirez is. She ends up trying to make a deal with them. She sees Margaret there as well, and she realizes that everything uh, that uh, Brooke had said was true, and uh, she ends up getting killed anyway. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stop right here and let's talk about Velma and Louise. Uh, Maddie? Um, I'm really liking um, Brooke turning into more of a badass than a damsel in distress. Um, so I'm really liking her character. Um, Donna trying to do what's right is kind of a little odd. Like, they've kind of, like, switched um, character... Um, How is traits. it odd? We clearly saw her character development and her justification for it. No, I know, but I mean, like, they, like they've switched, like, because Donna used to be the one who, like, you know, wanted uh, to do cause, you know, um, so much case stuff just for science, and like then Brooke was like the damsel in distress who wanted to do the right thing, and now they're kind of like switching roles. So it's interesting. Um, seeing them like this um i like them together um i found that like in the start you know like um in the previous episode you know she wasn't having the greatest time with her um but now they're kind of like friends and, and you know are at least together to you know take down margaret and and stuff like that so i like that they have um, a common goal, uh, and I hope that they succeed in doing something badassery. Um, but I'm really liking Brooke turning into a badass and almost a killer now. What about you, yeah. Annie? I, I kind of agree. I, I think that the, having the role reversal is very interesting, and I, I would not have seen this coming. The uh, the change. In Brooke, I saw the hardening of her heart, but I did not expect her to be so ruthless. What they did to Dylan McDermott's character, I still did not expect that she was going to be willing to kill a relative innocent just because they could be identified. It was very, very Margaret of her. Um, but yeah, the dynamic between the two of them is fascinating. You know, Donna kind of went from being this hardened bitch to being like a worry wart and the moral compass for Brooke and Brooke's now become the one I don't give a shit I want my revenge and so the whole thing with Stacy and then all Stacy getting away and then still getting killed after all and like kind of coming face to face with the people that she was hearing about it, she kind of got what she deserved I mean if, if you're that dumb to like get involved with this in the first place you can't expect that you're going to have high odds of getting out alive, you know? And so she, she kind of got the, the, the end that I felt the character had coming when she sought out the answers and, and the information. Um, but yeah, it, Donna and 
Brooke are still the Velma and Louise that I did not know that I needed in my life. And I still really enjoy that what's going on with them overall and the trust that's actually, you know, come out of it. Because when she first, you know, got Brooke out of jail, Brooke was very much like, I, I, why should I trust you? I should just kill you. And she managed to talk her down, which if that had been me, I don't know. Even if she had saved me, I don't know that I would have been able to be like, oh, that's okay. You caused a lot of people to die. I forgive you. I will say, Angelica Ross continues to be a revelation on the show. Like, like I know sh- she did fantastic work on Pose and, and that kind of stuff, but I'm just loving everything Donna. Like, I feel like Donna has probably had... And let me remove probably. I feel like Donna has had the best arc of all of the characters this season. Like, I feel like there are other characters that have had good arcs, but I feel like Donna has had the most interesting arc. And Agreed. Yeah, she's just so fascinating and, and completely captivating. Um, and I am loving the dynamic between both of them. I'm loving uh, the um, the sense of remorse that we're getting. Like, even in just subtle looks from Angelica. Like, it, it's just coming through and uh i just love it like i'm loving donna and um yeah like that moment where she talked her down from like killing stacy was a really strong moment for donna as a character and it has really shown us that she really has changed from not rita you know during the first half of the season and i love it like i'm i just i love it so much yeah donna you're fucking fantastic emma roberts has been doing really a really good job with brooke as well uh we're getting a little bit of like some of the the characters that emma has played in the past which makes it um very interesting to watch because we got a very different uh take on uh, the typical emma roberts character at the start of the season like we wouldn't be as uh surprised by Brooke's current actions if Brooke wasn't played so differently than what we typically expect from Emma Roberts since the start of the season. So I will give her props as well because we are seeing sort of like the evolution of Brooke and that has been really interesting to watch too. Um, yeah, they, ju- they play off of each other really, really, really well. I hope, um, I hope we see m- much more of Angelica Ross on American Horror Story in the future because um, she has been fantastic this season like i'd love for them to bring back adina porter i, I think seeing both of them play off oh of my each other god would be really good yeah they would play off each other just the the ability to give attitude and just the sheer gravitas that they both possess that would be fascinating yeah and make them both be like crazy characters yes yeah i need to see them both be batshit crazy uh when adina porter does like really intense it's just so fucking good i mean she was the highlight of cult i mean i i feel like we can all agree oh yeah yeah she was just a uh, fucking seller and also i mean i mean lee in roanoke when we first saw her I mean, she was yeah was fantastic there as well so okay so this leaves us with the jingles storyline and uh yeah so we got a lot more of jingles in this episode and uh the episode starts off with um, with him, um, you know, planning on, uh, you know, getting to uh, Ramirez and uh, wait, hold on. I'm 
trying to remember. Wait. Was the counselor thing... Bef that was after he meets with Ramirez the first time, right? Yeah, the counselor thing is when he stabs Trevor. When he... Not Trevor. Um, um, Xavier. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So he meets with Ramirez first, and then the counselor thing, and then uh, is when is the thing with his mom. Right, everybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. That's hard. I honestly don't remember. Madison, you're supposed to remember all this stuff. I'm trying to figure out what you're talking about. Oh my god, she doesn't even remember any of the storyline. Oh my god, you you watched no, I do. The I Lady in White don't... instead of this one, didn't you? No, I watched all of them. I'm just okay. confused no, of I'm what you're asking. You. I'm teasing you. No, I, I have it right. Um, okay. okay, sure. Okay. So let's get into the jingle side of the story. So, uh... All right, so there's a lot that happens with uh, with jingles. So, uh, well, before we get into jingles, there's a little moment with Richard Ramirez. He's associated with this, uh, where he's like around the music festival, and um, you know he he sees uh, someone that's associated with Billy Idol, and uh, you know looks at Billy's rings, and he wants to touch it, but he doesn't, and so he he ends up getting a guitar pick and that kind of stuff, and. Um, there's a moment where the guy is like, so who are you with? And, and Ramirez is like, Satan. And the other, dies, the other dude's like, oh, cool, or something like that. It was just, it was so 80s and stupid and amazing all at the same time. So later on, he's singing uh, Rebel Yell, because I guess that's what Richard Ramirez does when he's alone and he's got a guitar pick. And uh, Jingles attacks him. And, uh, you know, they're they're fighting each other he wants to kill ramirez because of murdering his wife and that sort of thing and um you know there's even the gouging of the eyes and all that stuff and uh, jingles ends up getting hit by a car and it's the car driven by bruce and this is where bruce sees uh richard ramirez and that kind of stuff and and um the night stalker ends up um asking bruce for his help in finding Jingles. And so it's, you know, there's this whole thing where Bruce clearly knows who Jingles is and he's like, oh, that was Jingles and all that kind of stuff. So the Night Stalker ends up slicing his hand, dropping blood on the ground on a pentagram, and he's like, Satan will show them where Jingles is. And as they're searching for Jingles and, and that kind of thing, uh, Xavier runs into them and is basically like, oh, you're looking for jingles? Like, uh, you know, follow me and this kind of stuff. And apparently, if you dig up a person's body, we learn, this is a um, like the ghost will return. It, it, it's drawn to uh, their body, I guess. And so jingles ends up showing up. Um, Ramirez is kind of shocked and pissed off and annoyed and saddened that he did not get the chance to, um, kill Jingles, but, um, Jingles attacks Ramirez and, and, um, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and, uh, the thing that stops him is Margaret ends up shooting Jingles in the head. And that leads to their storyline, which we've already discussed. So Jingles wakes up for the first time. I guess this is the first time he's ever woken up in the forest after dying post-death. So dying as a ghost. And uh, Jonas is next to him. 
and tells him that it's it's you know it's the worst thing to die for the first time as a ghost and uh, he tells him that as um, as time passes on you know memories get lost you know those little pieces disappear and jingles doesn't want his memory to disappear because he wants to have his he wants to remember the motivation to kill jingles let's kill jingles jingles wants to keep the motivation to kill um the night stalker because he wants to protect his child bobby and that sort of thing and so um so yeah so so um they get into this altercation and um Ramirez basically tells Jingles that he's going to kill Bobby. He's going to go up to Alaska and slice him up and that kind of thing. And um, and he also tells him that uh, since he can't leave the campground, you know, he can just leave and, and kill his child and whatnot. Um, so Jingles ends up being taken to the rest of the counselors and, and they want to kill him. Like, they, they, you know, they want to enact their revenge on him. You know, Xavier clearly is still having an issue with everything. And so, um, so they, they plan on killing him, even though he pleads to them that they can stop, you know, future killings by Richard Ramirez by allowing him to go and kill Richard Ramirez. But here's the thing. The ghosts don't want, what is it that they called him? Um, Xavier called him like Satan's ball scratcher or something like that. Yeah. Like they don't want him on the property. So that's an immediate uh, non-sale for them. And so, uh, yeah. So they end up taking Jingles. They being, um, who was it? Um, Oh, wait, 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 before I even get into that, there's this awesome moment where Jingles is like, you know, you can stop, you you can help me stop Ramirez from killing innocent people. And, you know, everyone's like, well, we were innocent people. And then Chet finally says something amusing. And he's like, well, everyone except for Ray. And then yeah, that was pretty I will give Ray props because the reaction shot of Ray looking over and being like, really, dude? like was just amazing it was beautiful they didn't need to include that but it was just fantastic and so xavier and the two um jingles prankers from 1984 they end up taking jingles to the dock and uh you know they basically are, are gonna keep on killing him over and over again they're like you know we're gonna kill you and you know, a nectar revenge every day, basically. You know, we're always going to find you. We're always going to torture you for what you did to us. And so they slice him and dice him, and um, they toss him onto a uh, little uh, boat. Uh, yeah, a little boat. And um, they're like, you're going to die out slow. And this, that, or the other. So uh, Jingles ends up looking up from the boat as he's bleeding out sees Montana, and uh, he screams out, you know, like, I failed you, Bobby, or something like that. And then, I mean, talk about a nice little remake. The uh, rotting corpse of Bobby, his brother, jumps up from behind and pulls Jingles underwater. And so when Jingles wakes up, he sees his young brother, Bobby, and, uh, you know, Bobby tells him, you know, one of those uh, horrible jokes that he was telling way back in uh, uh, 1948, 
and uh, he goes to play by the lake's shore. Jingles is sort of shooketh. He sees Lavinia setting up a picnic, and uh, he sits down next to her and has a little chat about his son, Bobby. Now he's failed him, and Lavinia tries to sort of reassure him and saying, you know, you did your best. And but she's like, you know, we do have our Bobby back. And um, and she was like, it's all because of you and your sacrifice. And Bobby basically tells Jingles, you know, that he wants him to stay with them and uh, asks if they can play together. And they do. And it appears as if Jingles has gotten his happy ending. Now, I will say, I was moved by this. I don't know if any of you were. Maybe I'm just a fucking sap. But for me, this was probably the most moved that I've been at a happy ending that that an American Horror Story character has gotten. Maybe since Sister Jude got somewhat of a happy ending, you know, at the end of Asylum... You know, because they're both characters that have done evil things, but yet they still sort of get at least a moment of tranquility and happiness at the end of it all. I mean, you could say Moira. I was touched by Moira's sort of happy ending at the end of Apocalypse. That is until basically everything from Apocalypse was kind of erased because of the time travel of it all. But um, we try to sort of forget that. But if Moira got a happy ending, that was a nice little touching moment as well. But Moira was an evil in a sense. Um, like, Jingles was, uh, had his moments of evil. I mean, he was a killer, even though, uh, I mean, it was a tragic story and that kind of thing. But to see him get his happy ending really touched me. And I guess, you know, Vinny, we sort of went back and forth about Lavinia. And was she telling the truth at the end? Yeah. Was she, like, just sort of, like, um, you know, trying to, you know, screw with uh, Jingles, Benji even more? But it seems like Lavinia was kind of telling the truth at the end of the previous episode. And it looks like Lavinia kind of, I don't want to say got redemption, because that might be, we didn't really see that, so that might be a bit of a stretch, but at least she she found peace as well. Because she said, she said in the previous episode that she was searching for Bobby. So, so because of um, Jingles, she got the chance to uh, reunite with Bobby. So there was a little bit of a happy ending. And I'm going to assume that we will not see Jingles in the next episode. So Jingles got his happy ending. So, uh, Vinny, since we were discussing this about Lavinia in the previous podcast, what do you think of the Jingles storyline? And uh, did you feel the happy ending was earned? And did it touch you? Or were you just kind of like, eh? I'll show you on the teddy bear where it touched me. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> though I... I think the thing that moved me the most was the homage to Friday the 13th. I mean, that's one of my... I know, right? Wasn't yeah, spectacular. that is one of the classic. I, I mean, loved yeah. it. Oh, and that made that little boy look all like a sea creature. It was fantastic. Like, yeah. he was run to the core in that ocean. It was like if well, was Jason ocean, Voorhees you know had sex with a female creature from the Black Lagoon. That's what it was. And, you know, this whole season has included a bunch of Easter eggs and a bunch of, like, small references to some of my favorite movies. And when that I that is one of the things that I did not expect to happen, you know. I know I was from Margaret's sleepaway camp here to when she was in in the seventies. I'm just saying. Yeah, I will say though that 
I I don't think Lavinia deserved it. I think that brothers deserve to be together. I didn't give two shits if Lavinia found peace. She was the whole reason that this curse took place. And she was ratchet in the head before it all ever happened. So I, I don't agree. I don't think that if there is any kind of karmic justice in the universe that she should have found peace because she's the one that caused all of this horrendous crap to happen to these people by causing this curse. Um you know, the purgatory aspect of it, obviously. Well, no, she caused them the murders, too. She did. Uh, but yeah. I but. 100% agree with you. But we got yeah. to see Lily Rabe again. I know. That's the only reason I liked it. And it was happy <laughs> Lily Rabe, which we, outside of, what's her name? Um, the Swamp Lady? Um, oh, yeah. Um, why can't I remember? I know. Well, outside of the Swamp Lady from Coven, she's usually never happy. No, well, she's she not. was she so, was happy for an episode and a half in Asylum until she got possessed. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But no, I I, I think that I, I am happy with the ending that Misty, Jingles got. Misty, Misty Rain. Oh, right? Misty Day. Misty Day. There I you go. Misty yeah. Rain. Close enough. You kept saying Swamp Witch, so I'm like picturing like I, no, I was trying swamp to. Lady. I don't need to. I was like, like what? <laughs> she was from the swamp. Crone. <laughs> she was from the Swamp Lady. But, uh, I, no, I, I think that by this point, my feelings for Jingle reached a point where I was, okay, he has served his penance. My biggest issue with the character was that he got to run away, he got to have a family, he got to basically get off scot-free other than the guilt that he had. And, you know, Ramirez coming back into his life and killing his wife was some, some bit of justice, but he still had unfinished business and when you run away from something of that magnitude it is inevitable that one of two things is going to happen you are going to live a long and outwardly happy life while your guilt and your memories eat at you from the inside like a malignant cancer or it's going to catch up to you and your life is going to be impacted in a horrendous way and i i think that him showing he had the balls to go back and face it and then facing his mother when he found out that it was her who caused the curse. And then, I mean, basically walking into the den of a bunch of carnivorous teenage lions. You know, these these murderers that basically blamed him for a lot of the shit that happened to them. He, he went through his own personal hell and he was forged. You know, he, he got his courage. And I think by the time we got to the point where he found his brother again, he deserved the peace that he got. So that, that part I, I did, I had a little bit of tickling in my black empty soul and I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah. All right. And you are cold hearted. Fitz. No. <laughs> um, I thought the whole Friday the 13th thing was awesome because I was kind of waiting for something like that um, to happen because we didn't really get like a Friday the 13th um, throwback uh, yet. So that was pretty funny. Um, I liked that Jingles got a happy ending. Um, Like I said previously, like I felt really bad for him. Um previous episodes and and i thought that he really deserved better and was you know trying to make a better life and clearly he's trying really hard to make things right and do the right thing like he killed himself just for his kid and blah 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 but like you guys were saying i don't think that the mom deserved it um because she was such a bitch like in the previous episode um not a real mom uh 
to say that like one kid should have died and the other one, you know, should have lived. And I just, yeah, <laughs> it just, I don't think that she deserved, um, everyone to be together. Um, I think it should have just been, um, the two brothers. Um, but yeah, like if I, if we don't see Mr. Jingles again and we just know that he's with his family would actually be quite nice. Um, We've had, like, some, like, happy stuff in American Horror Story, but I don't think as happy as this. So it's actually nice to see. You know what would have been amazing is if they were able to get Lang back for just a two-minute cameo and have Lily Rabe think that she found her peace and then get sucked away and end up in the house and Fiona just saying, Who the hell are you? Yeah, that would have been cool. Not a pan... <laughs> that's the best meme it's amazing and you only laugh so that means that you know what I'm talking about poor Maddie fit confused but it's fine you can google it <laughs> yeah there's an awesome YouTube video of just her repeating that shit it's fantastic so alright so I feel like we covered everything but I just want to make sure was there anything that I missed that uh, either of you want to bring up um I, I agree with Maddie that we really didn't get a very good Friday the 13th because we did get one throwback originally in, in the very first episode because they had um, Swayze's older brother, remember? And he was like, you're going to die if you go there, the the crazy old man in Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. But this was much better. This was what I wanted. Yeah, it was like exactly like what happened in the movie. And it was so funny. Like I remember watching um, that movie like, when I was so young and and that part scared the crap out of me because I looked at my mom like at the end when you know like she's in the boat and you know everything's so happy everything's so like bright and shiny and the sun's out I'm like I turn to my mom and I go mom is that it is it over and she's like yeah yeah like you know everything's fine I'm like oh so nice my brother jumped out from behind the catch and did this did like did the Jason thing to me at that exact moment when I was a kid yeah, I was like, Mom, god damn it. <laughs> right. um, yeah, so it was actually quite funny to see it in this episode because it was, I was like, man, I've seen that, p- oh, right, Friday the 13th. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but I liked how they make him all, like, him all swamp-like and stuff like that. Um, and it kind of would have been cool to see Bobby earlier, like, in the episodes, like, kind of just maybe like a kid like walking through the forest or something or like a that hint but of some kind no yeah, i think but it would have ruined the like surprise he was killed in such a horrible way like at like the first like he was the first killed like i get it um in hell like he probably went to heaven <laughs> i would hope but yeah no it would have ruined ice i think we all forgot about fucking bobby like, in, in a sense, I mean, we knew about Bobby clearly because they kept on repeating the damn man's name. But, um, yeah, if they would have shown him as a ghost, like, I think the whole shock of um, him pulling him down, it, that, that would have been lost completely. Because I think we would have expected something like that. I just would have wanted to ex- have some kind of an explanation of Lavinia deserving to be there. That was my 
only beef with that scene really is like yeah they could have done it with he, exposition even if it was like yeah. BS, like a bs exposition like you know something maybe that we didn't wouldn't buy because clearly we don't buy it yeah. but um like oh you yeah. showed affection for the son that you've been trying to systematically destroy okay you can go i also think it's kind of weird that um no one else knew about the first massacre at this camp thank you <laughs> I feel like that's a little strange that it was like, oh, like this murder at Camp Redwood. Oh, yeah. And then before that, there was another huge ass murder. Like, no, I feel like. See, I don't find that completely unbelievable because that was 1948 and yeah, it was but... 1970s. You're thinking of it as yeah. someone that lives in the year 2019 where we have the Google. They did not yes, have but even without the, the Google. Google, you have gossipy old women and word travels. That's my yeah, only Yeah, but they thing. would all be so dead like, by the 1970s. So it's yeah, that like... story would have traveled. Like, I, I mean, to me, I, I agree with Maddie. I feel like if a prepubescent child got his head busted open by a motor while two counselors were having sex and then the mother sit, like went around and, and massacred the people... I don't know. I, I feel like I agree with Maddie in that regard. There there would have been some whisperings. I, I guess I just chose to think that it stayed local. and it never Like, just the fact that it. Camp Redwood had such a hard time reopening because of the massacre, I feel like that camp would have had the exact same problem opening up as Camp Redwood. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it still would have been, there still would have been a newspaper back then. There still would have been talk um, with the parents saying, oh, I'm never sending my kid to that camp. Like, it's weird that, oh, there there was an actual first massacre before this one. Sorry, what? Like, I don't know. To me, that was just, that's what I mean, like, where this, this season is kind of, like, getting away from me. Is like, oh, okay, this happened, why didn't we know about that before? Or, like, why was it not mentioned? Like, I don't know. That's what I'm talking about this season, where it's, like, the storylines are getting a little too stretched, in a way. But, like I said, I would like to see it all come together in some way in the next episode, so I could be just, you know, I could be biting my tongue in the next episode, thinking that it's amazing. So, we will see. But, like I said, I think this episode's a little stretched. Um, but, yeah, I did like the way that it ended um, with Mr. Jingles. And if it ends that way with him, I will be happy. Well, I'll just say this to sort of put a cap on it. Like, I don't disagree. Like, I can I understand that, you know, people would have talked and that kind of thing. I still don't know if people in 1984 would have been that cognizant of something that would have happened in 1948, especially people because they were not from that area at all. And the massacre in the 70s shocked them, period. So I don't uh, know. Like, my mom was born in, in like, 1980 six or something and no wait no. i'm older than God. your mom wait 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 wait. <laughs> wait a minute she was born in 1963 so madison's true hair color is showing she would just tell me stories of like you know like murders and all this stuff and of like happened and you know when she was growing up and everything so it's like correct people from her than, town like, these counselors in 1984 do not live near Redwood. They live all the way in the big city. Like, they didn't even know about what happened in the 70s, so I don't expect them to have known anything about what happened in 1948. Yeah, I guess. Like, it would have been, like, a tall tale, maybe, like, a rumor or, like, a 
You know what I mean? Oh, did you hear what happened? Oh, I heard that was just a myth or like stuff like California that. California like, huge. Do you know about the myths that happened on the other side of Canada? No, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not trying to single you out, Madison, but it's just I don't see how our characters in 1984 would have known anything about what happened in 1948, especially because they all seemed like self-absorbed um, 1980s teenagers. caricatures. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. So, okay. Well, before we get into our typical, you know, to do um, at the very tail end of uh, the podcast, because the next episode is the final episode of the season, I do want to ask, not necessarily, we know the the name of the final episode, it's the final girl and that kind of thing. And that was already teased um, in the promo for this episode. And we learned about the final girl, you know, in exposition in this episode. So I don't necessarily need to know the final girl per se, but who do you think is going to survive? Do you think anyone is going to survive? I mean, do we kind of have to say that we think Richard Ramirez will survive based off of the hotel of it all? But um, who do you think is going to survive? Do either of you have any theories or do either of you want to make a bold prediction as to who you think will 100% survive and when they die in the next episode you will eat your words i'm like shit who's even left alive i know you like, now you have to think of who's actually who's, alive who's not a ghost exactly um i'm gonna make yeah. a bold prediction and i i think that donna is going to be the last survivor. There might be more like bystanders, but I just feel like Brooke is heading like berserking. That's the word I'm looking for. She's still on this like berserking path where her, I could easily see her and Margaret going at it. a la dynasty. Like I said that I've been waiting for that moment all season. Like I want that, like wrestling in the mud, pulling each other's hair and like Montana and, uh, Donna originally. And I, I don't know. I just see kind of Donna's purpose as being like someone who was transitioned from evil calculating, well, not evil, but like calculating cold bitch to like moral compass to survivor. And because she's the one that told Brooke about the final girl, I just feel like that's so obvious that Brooke is the final girl that we could get a deflection and it actually be Donna. And maybe I think Brooke will save her. Oh, that's nice. I do want Donna to survive, like, out of, there could be many more survivors, but I really, really want Donna to live. Like I, f- I was going to say, I think that Trevor's going to be the final girl. It could be. <laughs> or maybe it's Venus. It actually, it's probably just Billy Idol, honestly. Oh my god, that would be amazing, and please have that be Sarah Paulson's cameo. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> have her in, like, androgynous drag as Billy Idol. Oh no. It can happen. Jillian uh, Anderson played uh, David Bowie on American Gods, and it was fantastic. But um, I, yeah, I hope I hope Donna survives. Whether there is just one person, so they can do the final girl type of thing. Um, I I hope Donna is there. Uh, I don't know if Brooke will survive. I think at the start of the season, I think all of us sort of pegged Brooke as the you know the final girl, not just because she's Emma Roberts, but just she she sort of fit in the character trope of the one that will survive it all. But um, if she dies, uh, I'm I'm almost kind of fine with it, uh, especially if it's in a way that you described, Vinny, where she does end up killing 
Margaret. I feel like Margaret needs to die. Like if Margaret, Margaret survives needs to be this, put in like a garbage compactor. I know, and I never want to say this about a human being, but Margaret needs to be put down. Like, you know, like a dirty dog because she's just horrible. Send her to Roanoke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The butcher will have fun with her. But yeah. Um, yeah, she's just she needs to die. So Margaret needs to die. I do want it to be Brooke to get her revenge. And if Brooke dies in the process, uh, I'm totally cool with that. I don't want anyone to hurt my precious Donna. So I, I really need Donna no. to survive. She she's had the most fascinating character arc, and there needs to be a bigger payoff for her. And uh, her surviving it to tell the tale to maybe um yeah what is uh to Lana Winters. Yes, that's what I'm expecting. Uh, but yeah. I, you know, I think that it shouldn't just be Brooke that gives Margaret her comeuppance. I think that. It needs to be Ramirez and Margaret both have to pay and they need to pay in a way that is torturous and full of suffering, but also gives all of our deceased characters and our living ones that have been wronged by both of them the sense of like validation and no vindication. That's the word I'm looking for. Like I, I, I almost want it to be like a round robin of like everyone takes a turn beating the crap out of them and then Brooke finishes her off. Or I don't, I don't know. I, I just I feel like it needs to be really monumental because both of these two characters have affected our cast so much that I feel like one person getting the final blow is almost like a, a, a theft. And they've made such an ensemble of this season so far that I, I feel like it's something has to happen where it's like maybe Margaret is killed on stage and, or something. I don't know. Oh, that would be amazing. So the theme of uh, hush, hush. Shut a shy. Yes. Oh my god. So stupid. But it would fit in with the show. So it'd be amazing. Very it really 80s. would. Very eighties. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. Um the only problem with Richard Ramirez getting his comeuppance is that um he is still he ends up dying and he goes to the Hotel Cortez on Halloween night and that sort of thing. But if Kaja Gugu can die, I guess all bets are off, you know, because of Kaja Gugu dying. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. So I don't know how they're going to explain him being able to, like, leave the camp if he dies. Yeah. Like, because so obviously he has to live to some degree. Yeah. Although, if Kaja Gugu dies in a forest, does anyone hear it? Hush, hush. <laughs> yeah, I hope that was a good one. Uh, Maddie, Wait, no. Joke. If Hush, hush dies in a forest, does anyone care? Shy to shy. <laughs> Maddie didn't get any of that. Okay. <laughs> She's born in the year 2000, y'all. I mean, we got to forgive her. Oh, my God. I was not. <laughs> Weren't you born close to it? Be honest. No. Four she was, years. She was born in 1996, y'all. I was Hell a yeah. Is there a difference? Uh, that's so funny. Okay, well, hush, hush, everyone. Let's get eye to eye, because now it is time for the MVP. The most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. And I will give a prize to anyone that picks Kaja Gugu as their MVP. Just kidding. No one should pick Kaja Gugu as the MVP. So, um, okay. Let's go with Vinny. Oh, this is a tough one. But uh, I've had like four or five people on rotation this entire podcast. But 
I'm going to go with Jingles. I'm going to give it to him. Um, I I already kind of talked about my reasons why. It's what I said about how I felt about that whole, you know, heaven that he ended up getting. And I think it was nice to have a happy ending for a character that was a true, true happy ending and didn't have any evil inklings of something horrible to come. It was actually like a full circle family back together. And it, it just kind of, it, it made me feel good for, for that character, even though I'd hated him or not cared for him that much in the beginning. And then I started to kind of be more interested. And then we got the backstory and it was just, it was kind of nice to see it happen. And I felt like, like I said, he ran the gauntlet, he owned up to what he did and it was really well played. And the character overall, the arc actually impressed me the entire season as a whole, and it was someone that I never thought I would have cared about. I love it. Fantastic choice. Uh, Maddie Fitz, your MVP? I'm very sad that you took Jingles, but um, I'm going to go with Trevor. <laughs> Just because I feel so bad for him. He's literally pouring his heart out, um, and it gets shut down, but I feel like he's risking it all, and especially... Of course, because we knew that Margaret saw him. He doesn't know that. But um, I just, I hope that next episode he either gets redemption or something. I don't know. I just, I feel so bad for him. So I just, I want to give him a hug and and an MVP. (laughs) Speaking of Margaret, I didn't mention this, but that scene in which they were looking at Brooke and Donna and uh, inquirer lady that seems mm-hmm. seems so weird to me because i was like how it did, did she know that they were there like i thought yeah. like i was very confused by that completely it was just that like, was odd why are they not addressing like so they killed the reporter but they didn't even try to address the fact that brooke and donna were there like yeah. as well and they I don't know, weird and like yeah, that was just so weird. Like, I didn't get that. I, I hope that was an editing mistake because we didn't even I get feel any. Like ex- it was. Yeah, we didn't get any exposition as to, like, oh, so she's not dead. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, they're teaming up. Like, that was a little weird because um, I would have liked Margaret to have been surprised that Brooke was alive. But, um,. Yeah. Anyway, so damn it, Madison, I dislike you so much because I legit thought that you were going to pick my number one because I had a really good number two that I wanted to rep for. But now I can't rep for my number two because you did not pick <sighs> my number one. So that means I will pick my number one, which uh, so sorry. I know. So I'm going to give it to Donna. Donna was just everything in this episode. She was fantastic. I just loved everything Angelica Ross did. And um, yeah, I, I mean, that scene alone where she stops Brooke just earned the MVP status so for this episode at least so uh yeah i'm gonna give it to donna and now it is time to rate the episode how would you rate this episode on a scale of one to ten keys the point system is allowed and if you found the episode exceptional deserving of more than a 10 you may grant it the coveted golden key and yes you may jingle it all right let's start off with you Vinny. i'm gonna give it a 10 honestly i you know even though there were a couple of minor things that i didn't like I, at the end of the episode, just, you know, Jingle got his finale and it was a full circle character. Donna and Brooke and the murders and the, 
I mean, I mean, I might just be giving it a ten for the Kagugu moment, just because that in and of itself was phenomenal. But uh, no, I, I think that we're heading into a finale where I still know what the fuck is going on half the time, you know. And it's really nice not to have it be predictable. You know, American Horror Story does surprise us a lot at times, but there's always been this underlying architecture of predictability. And if you had told me at the beginning of the season that we would have seen the things that have transpired, I don't know that any of us really predicted all of them or a good number of them. We had ideas that were close, but it's managed to keep us on our toes, and it may not be the dark slasher that I, I had hoped it was going to be in the beginning, I find myself enjoying it, and this episode really brought a lot of stuff back to the beginning, and I feel like that's where we're headed, is we've gotten rid of the jingle story now, we're going back into the the small ensemble group where people are going to get their, their vengeance on Margaret, I feel like that's coming, and as well as Ramirez, so now that we've got the, the background story of why the curse was there and jingles and all that removed, it's time for a face-off, and I find myself with an appetite that is very wedded to next week and wondering, are we finally going to get that face-off against Margaret or is Margaret going to win and get her Graceland? So the fact that I'm that excited to see it is the sole reason I bumped it up from a 9 to a 10. We were talking about this and I was reliving it. So, yeah. I'm giving it a 10. Maddie? Ooh, not going to like me. <laughs> I'm giving it a 6. Um... And you guys know why, like, I've talked about how I'm not really liking the way that the season's kind of going, but I do have high hopes for the next episode. Uh, I really hope that things kind of, like, come together well and end in an interesting way. Um, I hope there's a few more cameos. Um, I was really happy that we saw a few characters from, you know, past um, seasons um, come into this uh, season, so I was really happy about that. But I just think that things could have, I don't know, still been darker, still been more horror based, like it was in the first um, few episodes that we saw. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm giving it such a low grade, just because I feel like it's going in a different direction that I'm not really a fan of. But that's just me, and I think that a lot of people are enjoying it. But for me, I just think that it's stretching too much but yeah all right well i'll bump it up to where Vinny was i'll agree with you i'm gonna give it a 10 i thought it was a really good episode we got a happy ending for jingles which i never thought would happen we um yeah all the other storylines were just really really interesting so um yeah it was another really great episode of american horror story 1984 and uh on that note join us next time for a brand new installment of are you afraid 1984 once again here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Are You Afraid? 1984 and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night.
Good night. Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Good night. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Are You Afraid 1984 every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Good night.